that CMO Confidential Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. Welcome to CMO Confidential, the podcast that takes you inside the drama, decisions, and choices that go with being the head of marketing. Hosted by five-time CMO, Mike Linton. Welcome marketers, advertisers, and those who love them to Chief Marketing Officer Confidential. CMO Confidential is a program that takes you inside the drama, the decisions, and the politics that go with being the head of marketing at any company in what is one of the most scrutinized jobs in the executive suite. I'm Mike Linton, the former Chief Marketing Officer of Best Buy, eBay, Farmers Insurance, and Ancestry.com, here today with my guest, Kim Whitler. Today's topic, Budweiser, a look at how not to manage socio-political issues. Kim started her career at P&G and went on to be a general manager at Aurora Foods and also CMO of David's Bridal. She then shifted to the academic world and is now a professor at the University of Virginia, the Darden School of Business. This is her third time on the show. We previously discussed CMO tenure and brands taking socio-political stance. She just completed a deep case study on Budweiser and is joining us today to unpack that case. Welcome, Kim. Thanks so much, Mike. I'm 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 aspiring to be the the um, Alec Baldwin of Saturday Night Live. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, I have to say I'm so excited to be back with you on particularly this topic because if there's anybody out there who does not believe that marketing matters, this is the episode to listen to. I I agree with this, and I think it's just a great it's a great case. And it's going to be reverberating for a long time. So, so why don't we start this discussion by hey, just remind our listeners what socio-political activism or taking a stand means, and why companies have even got into this in the first place. So, you you know, Mike, you would think that that's an easy question. So, I've been I'm working on some research right now, and one of the things that I've done is I've gone and I'm collecting definitions across all domains, legal, business, social sciences, poli-sci science, right? Because activism didn't emerge out of business. It emerged in the social sciences. And um, what's fascinating is that there's actually a pretty wide variance in definition on the term activism. But what I'll basically say, what I think uh, is common across a number of them is that essentially activism, the, the core concept of activism is when somebody, some something takes action to try to affect change. And then there's all types of activism, CEO activism, brand activism, socio-political activism. Socio-political activism is when typically firms are trying to affect, they, they take action to affect social or political change. So they're focused on kind of social and political space, things that are typically divided based on political views, right? Yes, and as we talked last time, really tough to do this right, given the country split, you know, not, not exactly down the middle, but pretty close to it on a lot of issues. So so with that as a, a little bit of background, 
let's set the stage on Budweiser. You're you we we all know you are a tremendous researcher. Um, how did you approach the Budweiser case, given that it's been so discussed and it's all out there? Tell us how you approach it, and then we'll get into what what you learned. So when 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 academic like at Darden, we're one of the top publishers of of academic cases, and what I mean by that is we write cases that are meant to be used in an MBA or executive kind of workshop, mm -hmm. MBA classroom or executive workshop that are designed to put uh, leaders and future leaders into a position to have to make a decision. And we like complex issues. And so I have, you know, all of my research is focused on helping the people at the top make better decisions. I've been fascinated by brand crises for some time. I've published in the area a number of papers. And then around kind of when Gillette, when the Gillette toxic masculinity uh, fiasco crisis occurred, I got more interested in activism. And so I've now written a case on uh, the Coca-Cola Georgia voting reform bill involvement, the Disney uh, parental rights and education or don't say gay bill, depending on what side of the aisle you're on. And now I just did the Bud Light case. And the way that I approach these is I start and I try to collect. I have RAs who work with me. And what we do is we start and we try to collect and all of that. Research assistants, right? Yes, research assistants. Yeah. So typically undergrads um, that we give them an opportunity to learn how to do research. And then we get a little bit of, of support in our research endeavors. Um, they're paid typically, although we have programs where, where they get credit instead. Uh, and basically you go through and you collect all of the information in a chronological sense, and then we try to lay it out. And, and the goal of the case is to try to show the complexity of the issue. All right. So when you write it, my goal is that somebody who's liberal thinks somebody who's liberal and conservative, either side does not believe that it's a partisan case. And so the way you write this has to be, um, it's, it's very carefully scripted, written. Um, for example, in this case, not only do I show a lot of data, but I'm trying to show uh, you know, how liberal consumers might have felt about this, how conservative right. consumers might have felt about it because young people tend to see some of these issues as black and white, very simple. And it's because they're looking at it through their own lens. Well, of course you should stand up for LGBTQ rights, or of course you shouldn't stand up because it's not a good fit for the target. There's all sorts of arguments, but when you unpack it and see the complexity by the end of a case discussion, uh, they have a greater appreciation for the difficulty of being an executive and a greater appreciation for the complexity of, of, of the decision-making. And, and going all the way back to Gillette, which I think was probably the first really big one of these, that, that cost Gillette a lot because it assumed, it's, you know, a bunch of, a bunch of people were just angered by being painted as, as a, essentially a bad man, regardless of, of who they felt they really were. It's, isn't that right? So let me put it this way. I, I uh, grew up at PNG. I spent almost a decade there, as you did. And I now, I, at the time, I had a former employee working on Gillette. And when I saw that ad and I heard the name Toxic Masculinity, I said, would PNG ever run an ad called Toxic Femininity on Venus? Never. So just at, 
they would never do that because of deep sensitivity to women. And I'm like, Gillette should be the brand that is the voice for the challenge and difficulty that young man, men have today, that boys turning into men have. They should have compassion for their plight. There's all sorts of things. There have been articles written about the, the boy crisis, higher levels of suicide, lower levels of graduation. Women now are outperforming them in college. Uh, there, so why is Gillette, rather than telling men that they have to be better, why isn't Gillette, if in, in the days when I grew up at PMG, they would have compassion for their target. They'd have empathy for their target and they'd be a voice and if you will, an activist for their target. In this case, the ad looks like it was written by women for women. Gillette yeah. is a male targeted brand. And, and as, you know, as somebody who spent my whole life watching marketing, this was a huge mistake. Then what fascinated me about that one is that there was no humility. If you go watch what everybody said afterwards, they def this is a constant kind of, you can see this over and over. They defend their move. They defend their move. Right? right. That's starting a discussion. So so let's go to Budweiser, which is more recent. Um, what did deconstruct kind of the setup and 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 also how does a tiny piece of a ginormous marketing plan? I mean, this is really a tiny little piece of something that is hundreds of millions of dollars blow up like it did. Uh like just take us through kind of the the background on how this got to where it is, and then then we can deconstruct the 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 aftermath. So you, you're absolutely right. Let me start by saying when you look at all of these crises, whether it's Nike and Colin Kaepernick, or it's Gillette and toxic masculinity, or it's Coke and Georgia voting reform bill, Disney and the parental rights and education bill, or this one, there's there's right now there's kind of a couple different types. One is when CEOs take a position for their company. That would be the, the Coke uh, situation. That would be the Disney situation. There's another type of crisis that happens, and that's when marketers do something specifically. It's a marketing program. Uh, Pepsi and Kylie Jenner, Nike and Colin Kaepernick. In this case, this is a very one of dozens, if not hundreds of right. influencers. And as you and I can guess, this is probably an entry-level employee who's managing what they perceive to be as unimportant because it's only a $15,000 promotion. I mean, you know, so so it's most likely a somewhat junior-level employee who's managing this influencer program. And to be fair to marketers, at least when I was practicing marketing, we all had programs that when you're working on a mass brand, like I worked on type. We had our LGBTQ at the time. It was we had our gay pro programs at the time. We had our um, we had our our black programs. We had our Hispanic. You know, you have your college student. You have all of these different demographic groups. You have your new mom program. Right. You you have these different demographic groups that are experiencing similar things, and then you have different targeted programs. So what they did was not abnormal. We could no. hypothesize as, 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 to, as to kind of why this one maybe blew up. But essentially, it was a very small program. They launched it on, on April 1st. Dylan Mulvaney posted a video on her Instagram account to promote this Bud Light contest. Yeah, and, how many fans can you carry or something? Yeah. yeah. 
And, and, and so then immediately what starts happening is that it gets picked up in social media, Kid Rock. Um, there's a video that, that Kid Rock had of, of shooting the cans. They, they were deeply uh, offended by this. Uh, and then other conservative voices, in particular politicians, kind of piled on, if you will. Then uh, what happened was that Alyssa and her boss, Daniel Blake, Alyssa was the VP of marketing, yeah. Alyssa Heinerscheid. I don't know if I'm pronouncing her name right. And then uh, Daniel Blake were, were placed on leave. Um, in part, what was happening after kind of the first tranche of pain, which was the awareness of this campaign that blew up in social media and on conservative news shows. Then there was, I think, the thing that that potentially even uh, could possibly have been worse. And that was the video of Alyssa. She had done a podcast uh, the prior month. And in that podcast, she talked about how the brand had become very fratty. It had out of touch humor. It was very condescending. And if you were a fan of the brand that did what's up, if you're a fan of that brand, right, all of a sudden you could be deeply offended that the person running the brand is looking down at potentially you. She was saying that the brand was outdated. It was getting too old. They needed to move younger, et cetera, et cetera. And that podcast hit the airwaves of conservative news. On so they went of- back. They, so the conservative news went back and picked it up yep. and put it out. So so people dug it up. It probably wasn't that hard to find, but they dug it up. And then this thing, it's like gasoline on the on the original fire. So this tiny, this is a tiny little piece of kindling. Right. Yes. By now, and then this thing hits the hits the the news channels, and then it, then it just goes goes crazy. It goes crazy. Well, and you have to remember, it's not just that. Then it's who is this Alyssa? Well, yeah. Alyssa is a Harvard educated, Wharton educated, New York living woman. In the podcast, uh, I was talking to an individual who manages a lot of the syndicated data for the beer industry and he lives in the midwest and he said old budweiser you would never see a company representative never without bud in the background a bud hat on a bud logo on something she's sitting there no logo harvard educated wharton educated new york so she's in new york she's not in in st louis or no and, and, and part of the claims by people who knew how the brand was built, believe that moving the marketers to New York was problematic because they lost- Oh, this all the marketers for Bud are in New York? They moved the the headquarters or, you know, the U.S. headquarters to New York. So so what happens then, as you and I know, look, I've lived in 11 states and the coast, oftentimes you have this coastal elite that, that, that looks down on people in flyover country, right? Well, this brand is a flyover country- I mean, it's 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 a it's a U.S. brand, and the flyover country is a big part of the U.S. And so her that clip makes her look completely out of touch at best, and at worst, um, condescending, uh, disrespectful of her target. And I think that that was gasoline on the fire, because if you hear that, if you love a brand, and you hear the people making money off of your loyalty talking about you in that way. Mm. So, so 
you now have this socio-political issue, and then you have this but other... You didn't even try to start it. I mean, you didn't really try to start this issue. This wasn't even a socio-political thing. This was just marketers trying to reach a specific target market, and, and then a bunch of stuff getting strung together by circumstance. And now Budweiser is going to try and put out this fire, right? Yes. <laughs> And, and, and we so what they try to do, the CEO attempts to make kind of a neutral statement that they just want beer to be part of the, you know, to be part of fun. And and so they so they kind of rather than they don't defend it. And they don't apologize. And so, again, it kind of falls on deaf ears. And what starts happening at this point is that Dylan the 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 influencer yeah, the influencer she's uh transgender dylan mulvaney and her followers now are offended and they're offended because there's no defense of their community so you you are willing to do a program and take advantage and leverage our community to try to buy sales and then when you're faced with this controversy you don't defend us now you leave us i mean I, plus this is you sent it to me. I didn't ask for it. And so so not only so so by now, everyone now on every side is not happy about anything. And and then then what happens? So uh well then what happens are business results, right? Yeah. So so now I now let me go back and I want to talk about something that I think is very important in this occasion. This didn't happen with Disney. It didn't happen with Coke. The media can be very misleading. All right. There's a, a recent study done by Hassel, Holbein, and Miles in 2020, and they asked what percentage of journal, or, or let me ask you, what percentage of journalists do you think are conservative versus liberal? Uh, I don't know. 33. 78% are liberal, 22% are conservative. And so you already then have kind of a skewed, a skewed point of view in the media. What and, and what's fascinating to me, because I'm looking at the academic literature, there are a number of papers that have come out looking at different stakeholders, employees, consumers, investors, yeah. and all the research is most of the research is now generally starting to suggest that there's a negative asymmetric effect that the people who are angered. Who, who the side that you don't choose, those people change their behavior a lot to the downside. The people that you support don't change their behavior much at all. Because they expect you to do it anyway. So it's not like it's not an amplifier to behavior. It's just it's just the same chip into the it's an ante to play. So exactly. Now, what's important is that there is a, a one paper. So the media don't pick up on any of that news. Like, oh my gosh, Bud Light has done this. There's all this research that says that there could be a negative asymmetric effect. We don't know how long it, it will endure, but this could be bad for uh, for Bud, Budweiser or AB and Bev and Bud Light. There's one piece of research where they looked at two brands, Spotify and Goya, and all of the top media picks up on this research. And, and, and that research suggests that this is very short-lived. And so the media at that time, if you go back and look at Wall Street Journal's CMO today, all the media was saying, this is going to be very short-lived. This will be a blip. Research shows this will be very short. This will not endure. This will be a very short effect because they pick up on the one 
piece of research that is N of two is not generalizable. That's those are anecdotes. And I could talk to you if we had an hour, I'd explain why I think Goya and Spotify are different from a lot of the other types of crises that we're seeing. We can do a whole show on that. But if they went back and they looked at Gillette, they would see Gillette paid a lot for that. Um, $7 billion write down the next year. Now, there are other issues going on with Gillette. It's hard to disentangle this. But with Bud Light, we're getting some very clear data on what happened. So I, my the reason I bring that up is that there's there's this, the media, I think, is influencing how CEOs see this issue. They have to take a stand. They must stand up. And then you get the media telling you, oh, this is going to be short-lived. So what you want to then do, if that's what you're hearing, just kind of die down, let it blow over. This thing yeah, will blow go in, the, go in the bunker and then come out in a couple of weeks and it'll all be good. But in this case, it wasn't, right? It was not. Well, one of the things that's really interesting that I I would love to to go back and look at is they they went back to traditional, very traditional kind of Budweiser type. I have Clydesdales running around through the snow and stuff. I, yeah. Well, it's almost patronizing, and it's yeah. it's as if consumers can't see through what you're doing. Again, what's happening is rather than standing up for a principle or a belief, it, 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 it's like they're reacting to everything, and there's no core principle. There's no core belief in what the CEO is saying. They're just they're just trying to get through it. And all of that, I think, is, is part of the problem. So if you want to talk about what's happened, the business so far after. So the belief out there was that this is going to be short lived. After a couple of weeks, the business will pop back up. So far, uh, Q3 results just came out. Um, and U.S. revenue and EBITDA declined by about 14% and 29%. 14%. Wow. This is Q3. This is two quarters. Remember, mm -hmm. this started at the beginning of Q2, April 1. So you have April, May, June, July, August, September. Um, and by the way, it doesn't look like it's dying down. If you look at volume, the four weeks ending October 7th, it was down 30% year over year according to, to NIC data and IQ data. So there, now if you look at this on an annualized basis, that's almost a billion dollars of revenue loss. On an annualized basis, that's about $2 billion on a base of roughly $15 billion. But what's worse about this is the EBITDA. And I want to talk about the ecosystem of pain here. So I just happened to be uh, teaching in an exec ed program. Uh, one of the executives from the largest distributor of AB and Bev, and it's fascinating. AB and Bev generally requires that uh, the the distributors are exclusive to them, meaning right. that all of the distributors across the country are deeply impacted. Like captured, yes. They're captured. And so if AB InBev's, you know, they have all these other global businesses to offset the U.S. business. The distributor does not. The, so. They do not. And you have distributors that are down 40 percent. Wow. So this is this is a very tragic situation. This is not like that research and many in the media. Go back and look at the media articles. This will be fleeting. Weather the storm. This is not fleeting and it has far, far reaching consequences. So let's go. So, so again, I want to, I want to look at like, and it's a nice parallel with the Gillette thing, which is 
I try and do this marketing thing, especially this one. I, this is a little tiny marketing cog in a giant marketing machine that blows up and 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 smashes into the financial statements like a truck. What what lessons can people listening to this show take from this? Um, because you're not going to be able to turn off all the specific marketing you're doing, but there has to be better kind of decision making and structuring of the decisions and and then also a plan for what to do when you know Pandora's box gets opened. What what are your recommendations for folks on this? So the first thing is before the crisis. So let's talk about before and then after the crisis, right? Before the crisis, this is all knowable. Test it. Why did you why would you not test it? Now if we want to get deep into my, like my hypotheses about why the Dylan Mulvaney issue really inflamed conservatives, right now, what go turn on conservative uh, uh, media? What are they talking about? A while ago, they were talking about drag shows. That was a, an issue, and they're doing it in the context of kids. What what the conservative side keep, tends right now to be focused on is how do you protect kids. So the parental rights and education bill that that uh, DeSantis uh, stewarded in Florida was around what do you teach kids at what age and why? Yeah. When should you talk about sexual identity? When should you talk about gender identity? That's what. So transgender is different than even gay marriage, and so you should know this. If if you only if your marketing apparatus is only liberals and only listening to liberal media, and yet your consumers come from across the political spectrum, you have a deep blind spot because you don't understand what's being talked on by both sides. You know, yeah, and same, same on, on both sides, which is, yes. so, so what I hear you saying, the lesson here is, there's no reason to wade between the two sides ever um, as a marketer, um, maybe ever. Um, that that the the gain is probably not worth the pain. How about from a it, it, the, these folks? They had they probably had a chance to recover. And my guess is if the if if that podcast does not emerge later, which just lights people on fire, um, maybe it would have been a little bit more of a flash in the pan. Like, but but this is this is bad thinking across the board. What 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 do you recommend people do now to? disaster proof kind of their their marketing and PR plans like that because this is probably four to five missteps in a row yeah. um, well, well so, so, so let let me say a couple of things one I actually don't think that it's necessarily bad to uh, pick a side. I think it depends on your brand positioning. Mm -hmm. If you're Patagonia, you are a liberal brand. If you're Ben and Jerry's, you are a liberal brand. The challenge is when a brand like X, that was generally skewing a little liberal, liberal, then becomes a conservative brand. It's a, it's a shock. It's a shock. It's inconsistent. It's a repositioning of the brand. And so, you know, Nike may have strategically said, we want to become a liberal brand. We don't want to be a brand for all political parties. If that's what you want to do, there's no issue with picking a side. The issue is when you say, hey, I want to court all political consumers, and then you pick a side, well, then you're alienating some. Yeah. So the first thing, the lessons are do the math. Go well, test. Know, and know yourself. Know your company. Know your brand. 
know, know who you are, understand if you're courting all consumers, then by definition, you can't. By the way, if if your values include inclusion, then how can you pick a side and exclude a side? Right. So you've got to you've really got to understand what your values are, what your positioning is, and you've got to be be true to that. I think marketers, one lesson is we're we're seeing a a and I'm hearing about this from executives, a problem. And by the way, it's not just junior people, it's senior people. It's folks saying, I need to do the right thing. And the right thing is what I personally believe is right. Not the right thing is what your job is. What you were you hired to do? If you're hired to build the brand, then what you personally think, whatever position you think is right, may not be the right thing to do. For I'm not sure if I'm making sense here. Oh, I, here's what I say: is your job is to champion the brand, not not the not any of your personal beliefs, and and I think that is super fair. I think I know we're running towards the end of the show, but is there any uh, other practical advice you would give folks, particularly once this is out of the box? Because I, I do, I, I remember the, the or, or I read in the case, uh, also the, the we didn't want to divide anybody with this post, which it absolutely was the worst kind of response. Um, what should they have done there? So look, here's the problem, because I, I've done some work on cyber breach, and what happens when you have a crisis is who takes over the yeah. lawyer. What do the lawyers tell you to do? Never apologize. Yeah, never, never apologize. Anything. Never do anything. Put out a milk toast long statement that no one understands. Exactly. So boring, okay. They can't read it. So the problem is, is that marketers would say, like I like on Gillette, apologize. Say, gosh, you know, when we have five to one negative buzz, we clearly miss something. We are going to go listen to consumers. And we're going to step back just and you don't that's not even an apology. It's just an acknowledgement that you missed something Yeah, that you missed it. It's like it's like striking out or something. Yeah. Right. And so then one thing I would say is, you know, there's the public facing management. But boy, the internal apparatus should be deeply, deeply um, assessing what went wrong. How did we get here? And one of the issues is that in, internally you need to make sure that you have kind of a decision-making process that protects the brand, has appropriate guardrails, et cetera. Uh, but, but there's a couple of things that I also wanted to say, I, even before, skip the crisis. I think today advice that I would give people is you need to set expectations with current and new marketers, right? So you need to have a game plan. Don't wait for the crisis. You, you, you want to sit down and figure out what your principles are and, and think through, use some of these cases. You know, if we if what happened to Disney happened to us, how would we manage it? Yeah. If what happened to Bud Light happened to us, how would we manage it? Think about it now. Don't wait for the crisis to come about. But when you're hiring employees, one of the things I like is Netflix. You know, Netflix had a brouhaha. Now on their career pages, I don't know if it's still up, but a few months ago, they said the following. As employees, we support the principle that Netflix offers a diversity of stories, even if we find some titles counter to our own personal values. Depending on your role, you may need to work on titles you perceive to be harmful. If you'd find it hard to support our content breadth, Netflix may not be the best place for you. 
set expectations with employees so that employees are advocating and quote, doing the right thing for the company. So I think that is a great way to end the show. I see more shows in our future, by the way, Kim, Um, because I know you also have a book on student athletes and there's a lot going on right now in marketing and branding, particularly at the college level. So thank you, Kim, for joining the show. And thanks to everyone for listening to CMO Confidential. Look for our other shows on Spotify, Apple, and YouTube, which include What Your Agency Really Wants to Tell You But Won't, Parts 1, 2, and 3. A top executive search perspective on marketing, sales, and communications. A content streamer's view of media and B2B marketing. A report from the front lines. Hey, all you marketers, stay safe out there. This is Mike Linton signing off for CMO Confidential. Today's episode of CMO Confidential is brought to you by CMOcoaches.com. Are you a current or aspiring chief marketing officer looking to take your career to the next level? You should work with a CMO coach. CMO coaches are former CMOs who are nationally certified coaches. So whether you want to improve your leadership skills, develop your team, or drive better business results, we have the experience and expertise to help you succeed. To learn more, visit us at cmocoaches.com.